Hear now the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven." And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, good morning again. Before we dive into this text and into our sermon, just a few announcements that I want to share with you. The first I mentioned last week, if you were with us for our service, you would have heard this, but if not, want to make sure you're aware of an upcoming class and teaching focus we have here at Trinity across all three locations. Beginning in two weeks, we will start preaching through the themes of a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And while we will root our teaching in the scriptures, we as a church will be walking through that book and the themes that he draws out and presents within it. And there's really two ways to do so. You can Pick up the book if you want and read it on your own and kind of track with us week by week. But there's also a related course that we will be offering here at Trinity where you can gather with a few people in, in person, maybe in a socially distanced way, or you can do so virtually. There will be an, an online virtual course option. And so if you want to dive a little deeper into these themes, would encourage you to consider taking the course as well. You can sign up online now, that's active on our website, and you can find all the details there and sign up for the course. And would encourage you to do so and pick up the materials in the next few days so you can have them in stock for when we begin in two weeks time. Secondly, for the North side more specifically, during the Easter season, we have found ways and rhythms of living into daily prayer as a community. We've done so at midday on Mondays and then on Wednesday evenings with evening prayer. And just wanted to make sure you were aware that as we now head into the changing of seasons as we head into ordinary time and out of Easter, we'll be ceasing those two services and then exploring new ways to continue to pray together over the summer. We're still working out a few of those details, uh, but look out in your Sunday email or on our website for more information as we reveal it and announce that and find ways to continue to pray into the summer months and really value that daily rhythm of prayer and want to do so as much as we can together, even while we are still separate. Third announcement is this coming Tuesday, in just two days, we have a members meeting at 7.30 p.m. If you are a member at Trinity, you will have likely already seen an email about that, and you will receive follow-up information on how to join that meeting and participate online. This is not in person, but it's an online members meeting. And it's a chance for us to come together as three congregations, to come together as one church family, and to 
have a bit of an update of sorts to talk about how our online services and programming has gone to celebrate the Love Your Neighbor initiative in some of the ways we have already been blessing our neighbors and our nonprofit partners here in the city through those resources. And also wanna create some space to give you an update on our most recent thinking as it relates to relaunching in-person church and ways in which we imagine we could take steps in that direction. And so mark your calendar, plan on joining us in just a few days for that members meeting. Again, all the details, including how to join it, should be in your email in the very near future. Lastly, I want to introduce our preacher today. As I said recently, we have a value, especially in this time of virtual church, but really at all times, a value of hearing from different voices from within our community and without. We were blessed recently to hear from Bishop Todd Hunter, but today I get to introduce someone who's very well known to us on the north side, Lydia Foreman. Lydia has been a part of our pastoral team since the fall, and we have been blessed several times to have her preach and to speak to our community, and today is no exception. You will be blessed greatly by her words and really have a value of, as we get into the summer months as well, continuing to hear from her voice as a leader in our community. And so let me say a word of prayer and then I'll hand it over to Lydia. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises of Easter, the promises of Pentecost, as we sit now in some ways at this hinge moment, mindful of your ascension, but also the promise of the Father to send the Spirit Open our hearts and our minds to hear from you afresh, that you would guide us into these great mysteries and that we would be changed and transformed evermore into your likeness as a result. We pray through Christ our Lord, amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back here again, at least in this capacity. My name is Lydia Foreman, and the last time I was preaching for at Rome, Back in February, it was Transfiguration Sunday. And now we find ourselves on the day of the Ascension, or the Ascension is the focus of today's reading in Luke chapter 24. So it feels like in some ways we've come full circle, but of course a lot of life has happened in between now and back in February. And if you're like me, um, you may have found yourself like full inspired to like accomplish new tasks, new goals, uh, clean out that closet that you've been meaning to uh, to clean out during this time of isolation when we've been stuck at home. And that's how you felt at the beginning. But now, of course, it's dragged on. And maybe that initial uh, burst of energy that you felt at the beginning has started to wane and, and you're just totally depleted. And even things that I've really enjoyed at the beginning of all this, um, daily neighborhood walks with uh, my husband, my family, and of course, my dog who loves it, even those in like the perfect weather. It's been 72 degrees. It's sunny. It's uh, probably like the most beautiful Georgia spring that I can even recall in recent memory. Even those I'm starting to lack enthusiasm for. And I, I felt pretty ungrateful um, lately. And I think even if we were in a normal season, we might be finding ourselves in a similar, similar mood, sort of that post-Easter slump. And you may, if you are sort of new to this whole liturgical calendar thing, be thinking like, why is she talking about Easter? But Easter is so far away from my mind. Like that seems like forever ago and it does. Uh, but believe it or not, we are still in the season of Easter, at least until next Sunday where we uh, celebrate the Pentecost and we move into ordinary time. But 
yeah, we're still in the season of Easter. And, you know, it just seems that even the, you know, alleluias after the he is risen just are growing a little lackluster. And why is that? Uh, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit in the last few weeks. Um, I felt guilty about it. I've gone back and forth thinking this is how a lot of us have feel, felt. I've reassured myself that this is, you know, this is normal to be feeling this during this time. Um, and, you know, if you are feeling guilty this in the same kind of way, thinking, you know, why am I not filled with Easter joy? Um, why am I not leaping out of bed every single day, uh, just thrilled to take on the day with newfound energy? Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Can I, bl- can I blame COVID or, you know, would I feel this way if, you know, nothing, no global pandemic was happening? Because who really can sustain Easter joy for 50 days straight, honestly? Uh, so I've been thinking about this and also in conjunction with this week's passage, which is uh, this final section of Luke, the final chapter of Luke in which Jesus appears to his disciples in resurrected form. And then before he goes, he gives them the promise of the Holy Spirit that's to come. And I wondered how the disciples felt in this sort of in-between time, sort of post-resurrection um, and when they experienced the uh, reception of the spirit during the time of Pentecost, what were they feeling? Uh, Traditionally, we feel, or traditionally we believe that the author of Luke is the same as the author of Acts um, to the point where we refer to the book sometimes as one, Luke-Acts. And interestingly, even though the gospel of Luke ends with Jesus's ascension, the book of Acts at the beginning uh, gives another version of the ascension. It's almost like Acts is sort of like the next episode of a TV show and the very first chapter is kind of like the previously on. So you get this other version of it that has some different details than the one that Luke gives us. And they're arranged differently just for their own literary purposes. Uh, But in the version of Jesus' ascension in the book of Acts, but right before Jesus uh, lifts off, uh, the apostles pose a final question to Jesus. And they ask in chapter one, verse six, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And I found this question quite revealing, actually, because what does it say about where the apostles' minds are at this moment? They're still on the world right in front of them. Even at the very end, even though they've been with Jesus for these past few years, walking with him, hearing everything he has to say about what his mission on earth has been, it's still on the political independence of Israel very limited thinking. So despite all that they have witnessed, despite the empty tomb, Jesus being resurrected, all the miracles that they saw, everything that Jesus has just told them. In fact, he has explicitly told them just a few verses earlier that everything that was written, thus it was written from Moses to the Psalms, to the prophets, all of it was about God's plan to rescue the entire world. And yet, they're still thinking about things in this very small, limited way. And, you know, it's not that God didn't, you know, consider these things important, but it's just that God sent Jesus into the world to accomplish a much greater mission than that. And it's very easy to think of the disciples, to think very little of the disciples in these situations. Like, come on, guys, like, get it together. Like, what do you need? What more do you need than what Jesus has already done uh, and accomplished and said to you than what you have heard and seen. Uh, but incredible, you know, regardless of these incredible things that they've witnessed, what had happened was very hard for the disciples 
to wrap their minds around. And two things in particular were very difficult for them to grasp. One was that their idea of the Messiah was not one who would suffer and die, which of course Jesus did. And then two, the idea that the kingdom of God was for everyone. And Jesus knew, because he knew his disciples well, that these were very difficult things for them to grasp. And it was going to take some time. They weren't going to readily comprehend this. And so he knew they weren't ready yet. They were telling each other about what they had witnessed. Of course, all the things that, you know, Jesus resurrected for them. They were going around telling each other about these things that they saw, but they weren't ready to go into the greater world and spread this message yet. And because he knew that just the, the idea of the gospel had just not fully landed in their minds just yet, which is why Jesus tells them right before the ascension in verse 48, he tells them to wait. He says, you are witnesses of these things and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So God promises to empower them for their mission, but they're not yet ready to receive it. They don't fully understand the message as evidenced by the last questions that they're asking before Jesus leaves. And this isn't the first time, even in this chapter in Luke, in this final chapter, that Luke has told us about how the, the apostles just don't quite perceive Jesus fully yet or his mission. So earlier in Luke's version of the Emmaus Road story, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and Luke has his version of the Emmaus Road story right here in the same chapter earlier, Jesus is walking with two of the disciples, and it says in verse 16 that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Their lack of perception is mentioned in, earlier in Luke in chapter 16. Jesus is predicting his own betrayal. He says, the son of man will be betrayed and be given into the hands of sinners. But when he tells them this in chapter 9, verse 45, he says, but they did not understand the saying, so its meaning was concealed from them so that they could not perceive it. So they neither understand it when Jesus tells them in advance, nor when it's right in front of them and Jesus has, you know, is saying it to them at the moment. Uh, we're often tempted to think very little of the disciples in these moments um, and think, you know, they had such an easy time of it. What was their problem? You know, he told them in advance what he came to do and they were there when it happened and then he resurrected and he, they still didn't get it. So like if I had been there, like this would have made the world of difference to my faith. Like I would have been in awe of it. I would have dropped everything. It would have made so much sense. I wouldn't be struggling as I am now to sustain this sort of post Easter joy. That's just impossible to keep up for 50 straight days. Um, and as we move further from Easter, further from that, you know, Sunday of celebration and feasting into ordinary time, especially during this time where it just, everything feels slower and longer and laggier, these, these ancient events just seem even harder to connect to. Maybe if we had lived through them ourselves, we think, we're tempted to think. Maybe if we had lived them ourselves, we'd be on fire for Jesus. But as Luke wants us to understand, it's really in the remembrance of the events that the disciples finally start to perceive Jesus, truly, it's most often upon the reflection and in the looking back. So on the Emmaus Road story, when Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, what's up, guys? What are you talking about? I like it because it's, it's literally asking that. 
And the disciples who don't recognize him at the moment, they start telling him like, well, where have you been? We are all talking about Jesus on these incredible things that have happened. And then they tell him, as they're telling him about him, about Jesus himself, they say, we had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. Again, they're still thinking very, very small. And then Jesus, again, they still don't recognize him. Jesus walks them through the scriptures saying, this is him. This is what it's all about. So he's pointing out himself to them in the scriptures. But it's not until after they've sit, sit, seated down, sat down with them in a meal and been with him that their eyes are open. And then they look back and they recognize Jesus for the first time. They didn't understand it when it was happening. And this also happens at the beginning of the chapter, uh, in chapter 24, when the women are going to the empty tomb to uh, bring spices for his body. And the two dazzling men appear to them and they say, why are you here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He told you that this would happen, that he would be handed over to sinners and that he would suffer and die and he would rise again. And then it says in verse eight about the women, when this happens, they say, then they remembered his words and they go and rush to tell the others. It's not until they're thinking back upon what he said after the event itself that it starts to sink in. And then of course, a much sadder example of this takes place earlier in the book before Jesus is crucified. When Peter denies the Lord, Jesus had told Peter that he would deny him three times before the cop crows and it's absolutely inconceivable to Peter at that moment. He says, no way, this is not going to happen. I can't even fathom this. And yet, of course, it does happen. Luke writes that after Peter does deny him three times, he hears the cock crowing. And then it, he says, then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So I was reading recently about how there are three ways to know an event. You can know it in the rehearsal of the event at the time the event takes place in the moment itself or in remembrance. And it's interesting because out of the three, it's actually the remembrance where the most meaning is grasped. So in rehearsal, it's quite easy to be distracted by the busyness of the moment. It's just chaos. There's just, oh, sorry, in rehearsal rather, in rehearsal, it's quite easy to uh, dismiss the importance of an event because someone's telling you that it's about to happen and you may or may not believe that it's going to happen. Uh, and you certainly can't grasp the significance of it because you're not even quite sure that it will take place. So it's easily dismissed. And then there's the event, the time that the event takes place itself. And in that moment, that's where you're so distracted by the chaos of the moment, the busyness of the moment, that it's too hard to grasp what's going on because you're just too distracted. But that it's in the remembrance of the moment, actually, that the event, the, the event's significance, its meaning, and its true beauty really take on their full meaning for you. Because everything's slow, everything is, uh, you can reflect. That's the moment where it all starts to make sense. And this makes sense in our own lives, right? We get that. Uh, when we go on a trip, uh, sometimes a trip's importance doesn't really sink in until after we get back and we're telling people about what we experience because, you know, what we experienced in the moment, it was just, you know, buying tickets and figuring out train times and dealing with foreign languages or whatever your trip is about. 
you can't really get, a, get your wrap your mind around it because you're so uh, distracted by the details of the moment. When you return and you're telling someone about it and you can sort of order it, then you're like, ah, okay, it's interesting that this happened. Or when this happened, this other thing was able to happen and it was really beautiful and it all came together. Uh, also, you know, your childhood, nostalgia isn't even possible without looking back. Uh, it's impossible as a child to even know what's going to take uh, significance. People, the people uh, in your life who play huge roles, uh, you can't quite value them until further reflection later on in life. It's impossible to do in the moment. We just watched our first film um, for our Northside Film Club, which has just started. Uh, you can catch us uh, in, for future movies, not this coming week, but the following week. It's not too late. But the first movie we watched was one called Lady Bird, and it's sort of a teenage coming of age story. And the main character uh, is sort of dissatisfied with her hometown of Sacramento. She finds it very dull, uh, not interesting, and sort of like her family and her life in general, just kind of boring. And she longs to move to New York where everything is going to be exciting and she's going to experience culture. And she just sort of has this, you know, mythologized version of this life in New York. And uh, she frequently butts heads with her mother, who she's arguing with quite a bit throughout the movie. But at the very end of the film, when she actually does go to New York, and it's seeming to not really measure up to what her expectations were, uh, she calls her mom and she starts to talk about her hometown in this very lovely, affectionate way. And she asks her, you know, did she feel emotion when she first learned how to drive through the city? Did she realize how beautiful it was as she, you know, drove around familiar roads and the familiar bends that she took. And it's in that moment that not only does she realize that she really loves her hometown and has quite a bit of affection for it, but she also loves her mother as well. And it, these are realizations that she has after she leaves upon further reflection. It would have been impossible for her to make these statements earlier in the film when she was in the midst of it. And it was frustrating her and she, she hated it. But it was only when she looked back that she was able to recognize her deep love for these things. And I feel like I've heard a lot of that our, of ourselves as I talk to friends about this time of isolation, this time of separation from people. We're in that phase of remembrance currently, aren't we? So many things that we used to do pre-COVID um, that we just took for granted, you know, going out to eat at a restaurant or meeting a friend for a conversation one-on-one -on -one in a coffee shop or, you know, going to church, worshiping with, with all of you, things that we used to do just without a further thought um, that we've taken for granted. And when we had the freedom to do these things, we didn't think twice about the significance of them, or at least I didn't, not on a regular basis. I mean, a few months ago, these things were so commonplace. We were rushing around from thing to thing, mask-free, blissfully breathing the air. And it would have just been practically impossible, I believe, to fully understand the value of all of these things, of human interaction, of physical touch, of handshakes, hugs, things that some of us haven't even experienced in months. And now that we're, we're truly starting to see the value of as we long for them and remember back to a time when we had them. And I think that it, the same goes for our faith. Remembrance is so central to our faith. It's the place where true recognition and realization take place. It's where we meet the Lord. We meet the Lord in remembrance. 
both in word and in sacrament, this is where we actually experienced the living Christ. Christianity would never have endured if its survival was dependent upon the witnesses and the reports of the witnesses of Jesus's post-resurrection, his appearances that he made during those days. If that's all it was based on, you know, the faith would not have survived. We would not be talking about it to this day. No, it's because it's in the act of remembrance that we encounter the living Christ today, just as they did it long ago. And so I think that if you think that if you had been there back when all of this was happening, back when the excitement was fresh and it was all new, then then your faith would have been you know immense and your joy would have been greater and your you would have been living every single day with that newfound energy that we long for. I don't think that's right. I don't think there are any second generation believers. As one scholar puts it, we're all first generation Christians, but it's in that act of remembrance that it comes alive for us. And that's why it's so important to keep it alive, even during this time of separation. So I encourage you, this lack of energy, this feeling of missing something, I think it's real and I wanna acknowledge it. Um, The lack of communion is, is real. We're feeling it. And that's because it's a central part of our faith. Because I think if we're longing for it and we're thinking back upon a time where we had it and we're reflecting on it, it's probably because we're recognizing it and seeing its true value for the first time. And this is really a good thing. Maybe this is one of the things that we're gonna emerge out of this time, which hopefully is coming to an end. May it be so, Lord. Um, Maybe, if nothing else, what we're gaining is a real recognition for something that we had right in front of us not so long ago. And as hard as it is to endure right now, my hope and prayer for all of us is that we would emerge from this time, not just with a newfound appreciation for the freedoms that we once had, but also the important role that remembrance plays, not just in our lives, but in our faith. May it be so, Lord. As a response to these words we've just heard, Would you join me in prayer as we pray boldly the words our Lord Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you this week. Again, a reminder on Tuesday, join us for the members meeting as you are able. And as we now go into our week, let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.